saw me. I had that kid in my sights, close enough to take off his Kango and half his dome with it. Couldn't squeeze the trigger. Why not? Wasn't in me, I guess. So with crime as the issue, the great white father rides to the rescue against a black incumbent mayor in a city that's 65% black. Black, white, green, people are pissed off. Boy, Marlo. Marlo, who the fuck is Marlo? He tied to one of the mobs? Young boy, running on his own, too. Got maybe 15 spots along here and an avenue. Independent with no fucking support, got all the prime real estate, and we doing what exactly? Young boy ran us off the corner? I'm losing my motherfucking mind, man. All right, here we are, uh, episode six, Homecoming, as we get to the halfway point now in season three. So now I think things are starting to pick up steam a little bit, uh, Van, where some of the things, the foundational things are really starting to be set in motion. And we're starting to see this picture really and truly formulate. And what I can't help but notice in this episode is it was a lot about the old way versus the new way. Which one? You know, mm. Did you have that same one? Okay. Uh, same one. Like, uh, like I had it like a boomerang effect. Like the new way became the old way became the new way again. Like and I'll talk about it, but exactly that contrast of old and new it's kind of the, the central piece here. Yeah, I, I don't know if you go through this um, because, and this is one of the scenes I had earmarked that we would discuss, and I'm sure you earmarked the same scene, uh, when Poot was talking to Herc and Carver about, y'all swear this new generation, they, they we yep. haven't seen it before, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was thinking about that just in context of the conversations now that I have with like my mother and with people of the previous generation where I try to maybe unsuccessfully convince them that a lot of the things that they see now that they're abhorred by um, and dealing with things that are happening in our community. These were things that have always been there, you know, Mm. because they I guess I just reject this idea that there was a loss of um, morality somewhere between now and then. I think technology has changed a lot of things and they've amplified certain problems. But I think the loss of morality between one generation to the next is always a little bit nebulous. Is that, yeah, I mean, it feels that way, but when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, I don't know if it's as different as they make it out to be. So I'm reminded of that when I see Poot have those conversations and we see this constant tension in this season and particularly in the last few episodes between the good old days and the new days. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was, watching something on the Roman Empire a couple of days ago, and it was talking about how revolutionary it was when Romans started to wear pants. Mm. What not, I'm not talking about women. I'm talking because, you know, that was a revolutionary thing that came later. I'm talking about just period. Right. Like, pants, pants were seen as a revolutionary act until what happened? Until they marched further up into Germany areas, right? And it was cold, and you can't fight if your nuts is freezing. So they, 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 you know what I mean? So they decided that, okay, we're going to wear pants. But at first, they resisted the wearing of pants. That in and of itself was seen as a revolutionary, morally repugnant act. When you put history in that type of context, 
you understand how things moving forward or moving away from commonly held morality is always threatening to the people who believe it is that specific morality that is holding society together, right? Mm. I remember my dad used to talk about how bad his grandmother used to react when she saw them doing a dance that I guess was called the dog or something like that. (laughs) She was doing, and my grandmother used to say, like, what y'all doing or something like that? My dad was like, it was really nothing to the dance. It's old folks always got to be proved. Then my dad came to a dance to pick me up. 1992, McKinley Middle. And he saw some of the girls dancing in the bounce ways of South Louisiana. And he could not fucking believe what he was seeing. He was like, I see a little little 12-year-old girls with the ass cheeks shaking and stuff. Like, what are y'all doing, boy? It's the same thing. It's happening to me now. I'm listening to some of the music that my nephews and people like that listen to, and I go, God damn, y'all really wildin'. Right. It's the, sa- it's the same thing. It'll never change. It's actually, to be honest with you, Jamil, it's almost cute at this point. <laughs> so when, like, and when, when Poot said that, Poot's so amazingly grounded in, like, in his intelligence. Poot is one of the smartest characters in the wire. He's like... Let me, he's, let me think about that for a moment. <laughs> l- l- listen, I'm serious, man. Go go back, like, I, I'm serious about this. Poot is not book smart. We know. But, li- but listen when Poot is talking in the common sense way that he looks at the world. When anybody else is being overly dramatic, when anybody else, Poot has a way of putting things that's right to the point. Even when he says, well, don't the chair know that we're going to look like some punk-ass bitches? That's him being smart, but de-intellectualizing de- that situation in the same time. I love Poots. Shout out to uh, shout out to Trey Chaney too. It was his birthday a couple of days ago. I love Poot um, and the way he just looks at the world. And what he told them was true. And they're gonna do it to the next generation. It's the same way, man. Yeah, it's like they're gonna swear that each one know this worse than the last one. And and this isn't again. This isn't to say there isn't like a little bit of truth to that. But I think people have a tendency just in general to think better of their generation and put themselves in a much more higher light than maybe that they, you know, were worth. Cause I mean, that was sometimes when I talked to my mom about what it was like growing up in the sixties and everything. And she grew up obviously when it was still segregation and she made it seem like they wore suits and ties and everybody was on their best behavior and everybody uh-huh. was to Sunday school and nobody ever stepped out of line. And I'm just like, that could not have been the case. <laughs> like, that, that, it wasn't the case. It's just the difference is y'all ain't had TikTok. So we ain't see y'all foolishness, right? Right. Like, we, y'all was wilding too. Y'all was absolutely wilding. Y'all just had conks and was listening to the Supremes. That was it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was the difference. So I, I do very much enjoy that kind of back and forth that you see in this episode between uh the new way and the old way because you know there is and we're going to take a deep dive into you know probably one of the I don't know five most compelling characters on the wire and he ain't five and that's Marlo but there's certainly a discussion to be had there about the evolution of from Avon to Marlo Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what that looks like. But in the drug game, it comes so much faster because realize when Poot is having this conversation with her, Poot himself, is he even 21? You know what I'm saying? No. 
He's not even no, 21. And they talking about no. a new generation. And I'm like, wow. He, Remember, they, the, the lifespans are shorter. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because they're not so, on so the street what, that so, long. Right. A generation for us was, what, 15, 30 years or something like that? Generation for them, five years is all new people. Right. You know it might I mean? not the even light, be five. Right. So, yeah. like, when he's, when he's talking about the new generation, he's talking about basically graduating classes, like the high school type shit. Like, it's, it's shorter. The lifespans aren't, aren't, aren't as long. So let's get down to uh, recapping what happens in this episode. So Avon finally files out about Marlo from my man Slim Charles. Mm -hmm. And he is befuddled that somebody has been able to see such prime real estate in Baltimore. And he becomes obsessed with warring with Marlo, which kicks off a whole heap of drama uh, that will play out over the course of the next several episodes. You see uh, more developed rift between him and Stringer. Uh, it has been escalating and building episode by episode. It reaches another peak uh, in this one. Uh, you have the detail at first, <laughs> well, because of obviously the, the mismanagement and the befuddlement of their superiors, the detail is, as Daniels put it, about the bodies. But McNulty being McNulty finds a way for them to be about the case he needs them to be about, and he's mm-hmm. kind of up to his same old tricks. Uh, Bunk and Omar have a very classic confrontation in this particular episode. Um, Spectacular. Yeah, it is. It's very spectacular where this also puts something, um, uh, puts some wheels in motion uh, when Bunk is able to, I think, talk to Omar in a way that we're just not used to seeing Omar talk to. uh, Like, we're not used to him being put in check the way Bunk attempted um, to put in the ch- put him in the check. I'm sure we'll dive d- uh, deeper into that. Uh, Carcetti is continuing his political maneuvering, where he is basically about to take advantage of the fact that he senses he's seeing now the weak links in the mayor's administration. He understands now what he has to do in order to seize that spot. Uh, he picks up on the fact from Odell that there is some growing disappointment in the mayor's. Uh, performance, and so that's something um, that he is uh, going to seize upon. And once again, our man, the Tony Stark of snitches, Bubs, mm. forever putting the police up on game, and yeah. he is the one that lets Kima know that. Hey, by the way, did y'all know it's a whole ass war going on right underneath y'all notice mm-hmm. noses between the Barksdales and Marlowe's people. So, uh, again, um, the detail, you know, it's, it's funny what has all been interesting about this season is that the detail is they're most put together in terms of personnel and uh, kind of understanding where they fit, and all that is blown to hell. And they're just now, it, we're six episodes into the season, they're just now starting to figure out what their case actually is. So it's... It's, they're kind of in a, a much different pos, uh, position than they have been on, been in in previous seasons. And we see Cuddy, um, a good one of the very good and robust secondary storylines. He finally chooses which life that he wants to lead um, in a more in a most surprising way, I would think, uh, in this episode. Now it's time we take a deep dive into Marlo. Uh, this is uh-huh. this is a complicated character. Complicated, I mean, sort of one note because we know what he's about, but there's a lot of complications there. Even though he's a one note uh, type of guy, um, one note that one note being pure ruthlessness. Um, what do you make of Marlo, Van? Marlo is what happens when you don't stop the train. 
See, we tell people in society that you'll create Marlowe and we use it as a boogeyman, but it's true. Like, Marlowe is what happens when you don't stop the train. Cause it's, well, I'll tell you like this. So Avon, right? If you look at Avon, and Marlowe exists on his own as a fantastic character, but he also exists in contrast to the king that came before him, right? So if you look at Avon, Avon still, in many ways, is a very traditional citizen. Avon cares about things that really, in a different sort of light or in a different situation, will be things that you would want somebody to care about. Avon is very much about family. Avon is very much about relationship. You can tell that at some point, somewhere, somebody cared about Avon Barstale. Now, he's about all the gangster shit. All of it, right? All of it. But there's something else that gives him a sense of humanity and even a sense of decency to a degree, even though he himself is ruthless. All right? And that is what happens when there are people around you. Marlo is the bastard son of Avon. Hmm. Marlo doesn't care about any of that stuff. Or at least we don't see that he cares about it. He has cherry-picked the lives of other gangsters and seemingly cares about what he feels like they cared about, which is being on top, which is dominating, which is all of that. We don't ever get the sense that there's any more to Marlowe than pure capitalist ruthlessness gangsterism. And that's because the further down the line you push this, as families erode, as tiny senses of community start to erode because of the pressures that you put on people, you get Marlowe's. You get people who, really, he's American in the pure sense. He's willing to exploit, hurt, do whatever he has to do in order to win. Win. Remember, if you look at Avon, Avon wouldn't have or refused to for a time take the life of his nephew because he thought, uh, even though that was probably what was best for business, he cared about family. I wonder if Marlo had had a D'Angelo. We already know where this is going. <laughs> like, like, you, you know what I'm saying? You're dead. You're right. dead. He would have been dead after after he he killed the witness. When, right. When he, yeah, after he mistakenly did that, he would have been dead. Yeah, you're dead. So Marlo's Stansfield is what happens because we think when all of those things that we think have already broken down, when they really break down. The, first, the very first time we see Marlo, we talked about it all, he, oh, he orders a murder. The first thing we see him do, like do it or don't. I don't. I basically don't care, but I got some place to be. You know, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, I look at the character, and the fact that in this episode is the episode where he spe- he specifically tells you he wants the crown. He is told the crown means either death or going to jail. I don't give a fuck. They wore it. And now is my time to wear it. So when someone is like that, when someone says, I don't care about the consequences or the ramifications of me getting what I need to get, it's almost impossible to stop them from getting to the finish line. Well, he is the embodiment of, of what Slim Charles was trying to tell Cuddy, which is 
the game still the same. It's just got more. It just got more fierce. It ain't changed. Mm-hmm. It's still, and this is he's like uh, all the Terminators that came after Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like yeah. they just kept getting r- ridiculous. The triumph of the human spirit, Jamel. <laughs> is that what it, I'm supposed to believe? Spirit? I'm like, uh, no. That that death bot. In any normal circumstance, would completely annihilate you. You know, it's, been, it's faster, it's better, it, it, it is more intelligent, it's able to download more. Like, it, it is, you know, literally a, a re-engineered better version. And so, imagine Avon with, I think as the picture you were trying to paint, with none of, none of the, for lack of a better way to put it, weaknesses, that weakness being his his propensity to be loyal, especially mm-hmm. to family, because he is trying to hold something together. He wants the Barksdales to succeed as a family, as an empire. That's his vision. Marlo mm-hmm. just wants to single-handedly sit on the crown. That's what he mm-hmm. wants to do. It's kind of, yeah. I don't know if this is a right comparison since we made um, comparisons before to like uh, the Marvel comic universe. Is this like a, almost like a Killmonger T'Challa thing? You know what I'm saying? It's like even though Killmonger is like an anti-hero more than a straight-up villain, but it's like but there was clearly a decided difference what he did with the Black Panther powers versus what T'Challa did with them. Like he was much right. more ruthless. He didn't care about that whole family stuff. He was like, "Yo, I'm here to do one thing. I'm here to bang heads, and that's it. I'm here to right. dominate and take this world over." And it is telling to me that somebody and it and that's the scary part I think of Marlo's character is that he does not have a level of consciousness that is in him. You're not going to appeal to his sense of mercy. You're not going to appeal to anything that might be relatively humane. And yet it is his lack of shown inhumanity that I think allows you to get a window into all the problems that he's supposed to represent is that, yeah, this is somebody who is truly a product of their environment and part of the reason i think him and avon clash is because avon sees so much of marlo he sees so much of himself in marlo you know it's mm-hmm. like that's what it is like he realizes like damn if i had kids it'd be this dude like he'd be just like that you know and you think you think that if avon had kids that they would be marlo i you, think if avon had kids to be honest with you i think if avon had kids they'd be d'angelo what yeah, I don't know I, about that. I, I'm, I'm telling you, and the reason why I say that is because, for all intents and purposes, D'Angelo was Avon's kid. Like, and and the the reason why I say that is this is why I say this is why I say that this is why I say that, and we should put it like this is should be a segment. Van versus Jamel, they disagree. <laughs> I thought that's what the whole podcast was. <laughs> kind of is. Um, but no, the reason the 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 reason why I say that is because like. If you're the child of somebody who cares about family, then they care about you. And you never become as jaded and as, like, you never become as jaded as... There would be no reason for Marlo to seek the crown as much as he's seeking it right now if he felt like the crown was going to be passed to him. Or if he saw what the crown does... Like it, 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 so. So to me, I don't think that that would happen to like one of Avon's. If, if Avon had kids, I don't think that would happen to one of Avon's kids. Number one, because they'd have a little bit more advantage, which is D's problem. D was a little pampered, right? You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I think Marlo is what happens when you leave a kid alone and go, "Yo, 
Go get it on your own. Go get it like you know, you like build your own shit. So Marlo is what happens if Avon had been an absentee father. If Avon was an absentee <laughs> dad, right? Or Marlo's kind of might what what might happen if Bodie would have never had Stringer as a father figure. If Bodie would have been somewhere and just had to figure it out on his own. Because think about it, the 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 Barksdale organization essentially raised Bodie. Since he was a baby. But if Bodie had to stand out somewhere on his own and get it with what he has inside of him, the way, you know, maybe somebody like that turns into a Marlo. But maybe not even then. But Marlo is really fucking, like, on his own. Like, Marlo is a completely different type of criminal than exists anywhere else in the wire. Like, even Chris, his number one is different from Marlo. Chris has something that he cares about other than just killing people. <laughs> right. Yeah, he does. I mean, all of, if you think about it, you know, we, I, I think we, we sort of talked about this when we broke down Mayor Royce. The majority of uh, the characters in The Wire are not one-note characters. It's usually right. something. And even if they're sort of mostly despicable, it's usually something that allows you to see the humanity in them. With Marlo, he, there was no humanity that you saw. He mm-hmm. was inhumane pretty much from the jump. And uh, I think that's why he he holds a sort of a polarizing place in the wire universe. Like, do you think more people do you think most people see him as like a like an unredeemable villain? Do You think he's actually hated or do you think he's more respected by by wire fans? I, I, it's hard for me to say that he's he's hated because he's too good. Like, Cheese is hated. Right. Like, Cheese is hated just because Cheese is a good-for-nothing-ass, piece-of-shit, no-good-ass you, you, you can't respect Cheese because he's a fuck-up. Like, it's hard right. to respect a fuck-up. Right. Yeah. But Marlo, he's got... You can see why a guy like Marlo, even though as he's, he's as ruthless as he is, why he rose to the top. Because he's patient when he has to be. You know what I mean? Like, he, he he's he's aggressive, but he's patient when he has to be. He's calculating when he has to be. There is a respect for the expertise that Marlo has. He is a, don't, no doubt about it, Marlo is good at being a gangster. And as Americans watching shit, we like to see people, like, look, I, I never liked it when the Spurs would come to town. I never really liked it. You know what I mean? But they were good at basketball. And you had to you had to appreciate that. And so when you look at Marlo, Marlo was one step ahead of the police a lot of the time, one step ahead of the Barksdales. You just had to respect him. And there was a, a respect and an affinity for how he did his thing. Yeah, so maybe that's more the proper word, like you said, is respect. Because in talking to other Wire fans, uh, I find that there, I mean, there are some people who, who hate him. And some of that has to do... Uh, with their affection for Avon. You know, I think Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, that was kind of like their lovable gangster. But with Marlo, there was a different respect factor, even though they they recognize the cruelty that he has. And I think that's another part of his character that is so different than other uh, characters in The Wire, is that there's a cruelty to everything Marlo does. Everything. And it's because he's expressionless, emotionless, and even when 
that scene he had that we discussed that he had with Stringer. When Stringer's first bringing to him, like, hey, man, I need you to be in on this co-op. We can legitimize you. Like, Marlo is not even, it's not that he's not even listening to Stringer. It's like he's looking right through him. And in that moment, I would not be shocked if he was mentally counting all the ways that he wanted to murder Stringer in that moment. You know, it's like he, he, his ruthlessness overrides his reason. It overrides his reasoning. And just like Avon, he cares more I mean, the money is good and, and, you know, he's been able to obviously build a fantastic living off that off of that. What matters most to, to Marlo is how his name rings out in the street. That's all he cares about. If the people yeah. on the street fear him, respect him, if he's known as somebody who is, um, you know, dominating, built the empire, that's what he cares about is how how do the people on the street look at me? And that's kind of what his motivation is. It's not money. It's not certainly not business. I mean, he's not Stringer Bell. He's just like, I'm just here for one thing and one thing only. And in a way that is compelling for sure, but it's also a sadness to it because Marlo's never going to feel anything. You know, the thing he loves the most is the thing you can't hold on to. And that's, that's this, um, this unimaginable or this uh, invisible crown that they're all trying to get. You know, it, it's it's uh, it's it's kind of like what the throne came to represent in game in Game of Thrones, right? It's like you had all these people who are willing to make all these ridiculous sacrifices for this symbol that, at the end of the day, none of them really could hold on to it anyway. Knowing that, it, knowing that sitting on it almost meant certain death. Correct. At it, least it was it, just it, meant to destroy you. That was it. Right. Right. It, with with. Another thing with Marlo and the cruelty aspect of it is good. Like he kills for fun. Yeah. Now we haven't seen it yet in, in, in this series, in, in this season, but as we get to know Marlo a little bit more, like every breath you take in his presence is a breath that he granted you. (laughs) And, and, and and you never know when it's going to go left. You know what I mean? Um, and that is especially true, and this is kind of the one thing that, like, I think makes him more sinister and more sort of uh, reviled than anything else, if he thinks you're less than him. Mm. There are people that have talked shit to Marlo, people that have made jokes at his expense, people that that like not not when I say Joseph at his expense, I don't mean not, not like outright dissing him. Right. But there right. are people that talk to him in, in different ways. But you see, if you're less than him, if your life is disposable, if he feels like you shouldn't even have the nerve or the balls or the gall, you're dead. Right. He lets you know, like he for no reason though. Like with the with with the Barksdales, at least you got the sense because they they remember now. They did horrible shit. I remind people of this when we talk about Avon and them all the time. They kill kids. They kill ladies. They kill innocent people. That, but anyone they did it, they thought they had to. Um, Marlo is a little bit different because uh, he likes it. And he uses murder as a tool. As a tool not just uh, to further his business, but to further people's perception of him so 
you know, uh, it's, it's a fascinating character, though. Fascinating character and also a character that's very, very important in showing the evolution that we talked about, right? The reason why <clears throat> Poot said that is because every once in a while, every once in a while, it's true. And it's definitely true of Marlo. Marlo is worse than Ava. Yeah, but I mean, okay. If we're thinking about degrees and how much worse he is than Avon, I actually don't think the separation is as much as we think it is. Mm. Like, I mean, I, I, to some degree, we're giving Avon maybe a little bit more credit than he's worth. I mean, I, I think we're obviously taking into account that he did have a good relationship, you know, with D'Angelo. Um, though some of that is going to come to a head, uh, a lot of that, rather, is going to come to a head later on in the season. I'm going to reserve an observation that I made about um, D'Angelo, or rather about Avon as it relates to, to D'Angelo that I think takes some luster off how their relationship has been propped up. So we're mostly granting Avon a level of humanity because of D'Angelo and Brianna. That's really it. It's like, and, and maybe even to some degree Stringer, who is his boy, is his man 50 grand, they go back in the day. But, you know, you said something a moment ago when I'm thinking about Avon's body count. And yeah, there was some necessity to a lot of it, but the necessity wasn't like, oh, this person is going to kill me and do me in. That was some of it. Some of it was just like, that's a loose end. That's a loose yeah. end. We gotta, that's business, though. That's, He's a drug dealer. Right, it is. But Okay, but like, right. like one of the ones in, in season one, when Avon, when Avon had Weebae killed a girl who was popping off to him, talking about she was going to call the police because he wasn't treating her right, right? The one that D'Angelo lied about killing. I yeah. mean, it's sort of like, I'm not saying that he didn't, I understand that he needed to tie that up. But like. She got to go. She had, she had to go. They ain't exactly like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, whoa, you may not have been, whoa, whoa, Jamel, Jamel, I'm asking you right now to take off your Michigan State. I'm Jamel. I'm Maserati, Maserati <laughs> Hill hat. Don't think like Maserati Mel. All right. Don't, don't think like Maserati Mel right now. Think about you. As a drug dealer, and you have somebody saying that they're going to go to the police and tell on you. By the way, I'm not in any way excusing the death of this black lady. <laughs> Van is not, <laughs> the, the, the views expressed by Van is right. not mean that he believes in murdering witnesses and intimidating right. I just no. well, Everybody should know this. But I'm saying is... Isn't that the wrong thing to say? Oh, totally. <laughs> like, you can't tell right. a drug dealer, I'm going to snitch on you. You know, like, right. I, I, I understand why it was done. But, you know, he got an impressive body count is, is, my, is all I'm saying. Is that it may, you can make a case. I mean, there were certainly some more frivolous murders that Marlo was behind, if you will. Like, was this? Uh, well, one, yeah. yeah, ones where it was, more, where you're like, all right. Now you just be an extra. Like, I, I get right. it. I get it. But I, I don't know. I mean, there was a certain cruelty to Avon, too. Because, again, like Marlo, his name and his reputation meant everything to him. You know, the whole reason why he gets sucked into this war is because he don't want to be no punk. He don't want mm -hmm. the streets to know that somebody came in and took over the great Barksdale uh, territory and he just like laid down and had nothing to do with it. It's his, his rep matters to him and his rep has certainly talked him into often a few folks is all I'm saying. I don't think the distance between Marlo 
and Avon is a long distance. I think it's shorter than we think. Last thing I'll say about this. It's important to define rep here. Okay. Because when you say rep in terms of Marlowe, I think you're talking about fear, control, and dominance. Correct. When you say rep in terms of Avon, I think you're talking about fear, control, and respect. Because Not necessarily dominance, you think? Avon wants to be the top guy, but he mm-hmm. also, they're also, even in this season, there are things that Avon does that Marlo would never do because of the way Avon wants to be perceived in the hood. In this particular episode, when Cuddy decides he's out, Avon, I'm going to point to two ish, two, po- two points right now, two in- instances in this episode later on. When Cuddy decides he's out, Slim says he was a man back in the day. Avon responds, he's a man today. Mm. Avon respects Cuddy's bravery for getting out of the game. Avon respects the fact that Cuddy is willing to walk away from him and stand up to him. You see, if you walk to Marlo Stansfield and say, you not understanding me, I'm out. Chris and Snoop putting lime on you before you even get to your car. You might not even make it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I I think there is a big gulf between them, but it's a big gulf. It's a small, it's a small gulf, but a big gulf at the same time. If I'm making any sense, it is small, but it's, it's a big, there's a big difference between the two guys. So between the two, is it do you is Avon more of your favorite character or like between the two, which character do you do you like the most? Avon, I assume. Oh, I like Avon the most, but I gotta be honest with you, I like Avon more, but I like Avon more. Mm-hmm. But I have more of a soft spot for Avon. But West Baltimore was more interesting under Marla. Really? Okay. All right. It was like right. I feel like, and we're we're not going to spoil too much of it. But I feel like Marlo has more dynamic lieutenants. Mm. Uh, to me, well, like, to, I think that yeah, I would agree with that. Right, and and so it, it's and and I just appreciate the nuts on the young boy, the way we're going to see him go up against the Barstow organization. So do you so you think between the two organizations, Marlo's, you think his was better run? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, at the but remember, at the time that we see the Barstow organization, we miss their glory days, fight to power. Right. We, we got all, a little like, taste of it, but not. Right. Yeah. We we we're coming into the Barstows in their decline. Right. We sort of watched, and so in order for the Stansfield organization to be what they had to be, they almost had to be better, um, and better run and tighter at least at the at the outset than the Barstails were at this particular point. The Barstails really at this point are in complete and total disarray. Mm, okay. Yeah, no, I, I would I would agree that Marlo may run a bit of a, a tighter ship. Cause, and it's interesting that uh, Stringer noted how much money he was making. He was like, well, you make about a meal. I think he meant probably per week because I think that's about what they were making because um, uh, I think he alluded to those figures before. But – yeah, it's tough because uh, oh, but see, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to really sit here and think about the Barksdale clan before things started to unwrap, unravel. I mean, uh, Marlo doesn't appear to necessarily have a D'Angelo type 
Like D'Angelo could run the pit, but obviously D'Angelo was prone to making some pretty enormous mistakes. But see, Avon had Weebay though. I mean, I know Chris is Snoop. I know Chris can get busy. Chris I don't get busy. You, 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 you taking Chris busy. over? You taking Chris over Weebay? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Maybe because Weebay Chris, was like more entertaining. Maybe that's what Weebay. No, no. I think Weebay had a little bit more flex. Mm. I think Chris is more one dimensional, but if we talking about just straight killing, nobody fucking with Chris and Snoop. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the combined, like so. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if we doing this in a, in a bracket style, you taking Chris and Snoop over Slim Charles and Weebay? Definitely. Uh, Slim, but Slim is more like a Slim is a utility man. So there's a lot of stuff Slim can do. Yeah. So like Slim, Slim can hit you. Slim can Slim can counsel you. Slim can come in there and just be tall, like like there's a there's a there's a lot of things Slim can do. But yeah, I definitely definitely think that uh that as far as the hitters go, the the bar the the the, the Stansfield organization they got that for mm. sure. I would take Bodie over Fruit though. Without a doubt, fuck. Hey, there's like no question. Fuck Fruit. <laughs> fuck Fruit. Fruit is like the yeah. worst. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk about some of the, the great scenes that were in this episode. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, you mentioned one um, at the start of this podcast that I think we both have on our list, and that's the scene between Bunk and Omar. Y'all going to have to call this one of them um, cost of doing business things y'all police be talking about all the time. You feel me? No taxpayers. Shoot the way y'all looking on things. Ain't no victim to even speak on. Bullshit, boy. No victim? I just came from Tasha's people, remember? All this death, you don't think that ripples out? You don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. I was a few years ahead of you at Edmondson, but I know you remember the neighborhood, how it was. We had some bad boys for real. It wasn't about guns so much as knowing what to do with your hands. Those boys could really rack rough as that neighborhood could be we had us a community nobody no victim who didn't matter and now all we got is bodies and predatory motherfuckers like you and out where that girl fell i saw kids acting like omar calling you by name glorifying your ass makes me sick motherfucker how far we done fell uh yeah fantastic uh you don't you don't often in this in this series see Omar on his heels. And you also don't see Omar Omar has such a he's so such a self-aware character. He has such an understanding of who he is. Uh it seems like he almost wills certain things to happen rather than have them happen to him. So for the Omar to be in a position where he seems like in a conversation, he's actually in over his head with things that he's done, that he is not in control at all times. Uh, it was good, and it was good to see Bunk, Bunk represent just the person in that instance that's caught up in all of this violence. That we have to be honest, it's as much as we love Omar that Omar is a part of. Like every time Omar takes a drug house, there could be a shootout where someone outside of what's going on dies. He doesn't have control of that. You know what I mean? If if shit gets live when he's leaving, somebody else could catch one. 
And at this particular point, even though the person that caught one uh, was one of his crew, there's still lives that were lost because Omar decided that he was going to go do something. So it was interesting to see Bunk be the reality that he's not as good and not as on code as he thinks he is. Well, and also, too, it was a, a nugget that I think people tend to maybe overlook is that, is that Bunk and Omar have history, that they went, right. to, they, that they went to the same school, which mm-hmm. um, kind of gets lost in their um, in, in that back and forth that, that that they've had, that this is they very much came from the same elements in the same neighborhood. Even right. though, uh, and, and look, as you said, you not only are rarely do you see Omar. I don't know if outsmarted was the word, but I think silenced. I mean, silenced. that 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 rarely you rarely see that. But you also rarely see Bunk on a soapbox like that. Like he doesn't, you know, Bunk for a lot of times is is I don't want to. I don't want to uh, diminish him by calling him comic relief necessarily, mm-hmm. but because we're so used to seeing him with McNulty, I mean, he's jumped in McNulty shit too. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But like, we don't usually see Monk make these kind of soliloquies about kind of bigger issues than just the violence, just about how they've lost some sense of community in what's happening in Baltimore, that even though the game was always going to be what it was, that even there was still a code and he felt like, Omar violated that code, uh, you know, with this one. All that being said, the question I wondered, and I would love to get your thoughts on it, is do you think Buck was fair to Omar with what he said? Do you think that was like a fair assessment? Because I, I, honestly, I went back and forth about it. I think it's fair. I, I think it's definitely fair. And I think that the reason why that's the most important scene that Bunk is ever in in The Wire is because that's the scene that explains why Bunk became a police officer. You know what I mean? That's the scene that, ex- that explains what Bunk's motivation is. We see what all the rest of the police officers, a lot of them, we see what their motivations are for being cops are after a while, right? We see what it is they like to do. Bunk likes a good whodunit, but we see that there is a level of community to Bunk, excuse me, that Bunk grew up in that he feels like has eroded and he believes that, that there's something out there he can still help reestablish or protect. And I think coming from that lens, that's why it was fair what he was saying. What he was saying was that there was a mutual respect, not for each other in terms of, because he's still talking about, you know, having to fight, you know, having to prove yourself. He said there was a mutual, he's basically telling Omar, there was a mutual respect for our right to breathe and each other's lives that stopped us from treating each other the way you guys treat each other. And there was a different way to prove your rep and to do stuff like that. And that was a time that was better for everyone. And so because of that, he's, he's telling bunk that he's telling Omar that I know that you think that you're all of this, but you're part of the problem. Right. No matter how much you may believe that you are sticking it to people who don't really deserve our sympathy, as you said, there's still casualties along the way with you making that decision. In particular, since at mm-hmm. this point, what Omar is chasing is is really a personal vendetta. So it's right, not like right. he's he's not up to business as usual. He is going after Stringer Bell. And, right. and he, like McNulty, does not care who is collateral damage as he pursues his vendetta. Right. All right, what yeah. are some of the other things you... Uh, that caught your eye. Okay. Um, uh, I, I really enjoyed... Okay, there are a lot of things in this one that I enjoy. I, lo- I enjoy Avon making his rounds. 
and you know, Avon coming out, making his rounds and stuff like that, just being more and more frustrated every single time. Um, a lot of stuff here is great. When Cuddy couldn't shoot, just told you everything you need to know about the guy. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that that scene is powerful in conjunction with him then telling him owning up to it with Avon. Yep. Cuddy, I have it right here. Cuddy couldn't shoot to uh, Cuddy actually standing up for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Avon and Stringer in the funeral home. Yes. I mean, we passed that running gun shit, man. Like, we, we financed a package and we ain't got to see nothing but bank. Nothing but cash. No corners, no territory, nothing. We make so much goddamn straight money, man. Government come after us, man. Ain't shit they could say. Businessmen, huh? Let the youngins worry about how to retail. Where the wholesale. I mean, who gives a fuck who's standing on what corner if we taking that shit off the top, putting that shit to good use, making that shit work for us. We can run more than corners, B. Period. Yeah, I ain't no suit wearing businessman like you. You know, I'm, just I'm just a gangster, a gangster I, suppose. I suppose. Yep. But I, I want my corners. corners. Listen. Part of being an adult, part of being a man is being, as I understand it, here comes Vance toxic masculinity, is being resolute. There's no ambiguity there. Stringer, I'm not kind of on board with you. I don't kind of believe in what you're talking about. I'm telling you straight up, this is what I am, this is what I'm not. I want my corners. Shit is back to the way it was. I love people who are self-definitive, and that's what he was in that scene. Yeah, and you know him and Stringer, as I'm as and just take into account just kind of how they've been with each other now. As I said, this is this relationship, their fracture has been escalating, and mm-hmm. they're like at at this point, they're like a a bad a, a bad marriage, you know, because you have two people who are clearly growing in different direction, and to some degree, this is who they've always been. But in the past, they always say usually a, a lot of times the reasons when you're in relationships, a lot of a lot of times the, the the same reasons that put you together are the same ones that pull you apart. Mm-hmm. I think because they bal- they were each other's balance. You know, you had Stringer trying to be the businessman and legitimize them. You had Avon willing to do the gangster stuff. Generally speaking, we would say that that's like a really good balance of like, okay, you got a businessman and gangster. It'll work. It works until... A situation arises where um, their differing philosophies can no longer hold them together. And they have reached right. that point. And that's why, you know, it, it, the the best part of that scene when they're in a funeral parlor is that Stringer is going on and on talking about how something's different and how, you know, basically he's talking about Hamsterdam. And he's trying to right. break that down. And Avon's not even listening not to him. Not even paying attention not to him. Not even paying attention to him at all. And you hadn't really seen that kind of interplay between the two of them, maybe ever. Like, there's never right. a scene where one of them is talking and the other one ain't, ain't even listening. But that just lets you know how bad their marriage has actually gotten, is that he has even lost his ability to listen to who his, who his partner is. What does Avon have in his hand when Stringer's talking to him about Hamsterdam? I forgot. What did he have in his hand? A gun. That's right, yeah. He's a warrior. Right. 
He's a soldier. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's a, like he, like he's a he's a sorry he's a soldier. You can always accomplish any two people can accomplish any mission unless they have different ideas of what mission accomplishment are. See what I'm saying? It, it like if 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 my goal is to be the richest and yours is to be the most feared or my goal is to be the richest like at some point they're going to diverge any you have to be like-minded and they're just not anymore they're not like-minded anymore they have different ideas of what mission accomplishment is and they can't they can't get over those you know what of all the i've told you i think the single best scene is with there are a couple other scenes that are good the uh the failed hit um, the yeah, with, battle with Cuddy and, uh, and, and Slim Charles. The, yep. Just showing the dysfunction of the Barca organization. But you know what my favorite scene is? I want to take the time to say shout out to one person. Shout out to Eggy Mule. Eggy okay. Mule. <laughs> I love this scene. Yeah, when they love, doing I, the, they're I, doing the name drops. What about such a son? <laughs> what about, well, well, first of all, first of all, let me tell you why I love this scene. This is one of the funniest scenes in, in wire history. And it's unintentionally funny. It is. It's unintentionally funny. So, first of all, shout out to Wood Harris for actually brilliant acting here. Avon is frustrated. And Avon is frustrated. Slim Charles doesn't know Avon that well yet, right? So, he comes in there and he says something like, you know, and he stops and he's pausing because he doesn't really know how he should carry it with Avon. <laughs> Avon goes, look, stop fucking double talking me. Like, spit it out. Stop double talking me. Like, stop. Stop all of these dramatic pauses. I know we're on the TV show, but I'm actually Avon Barksdale. <laughs> give me the fucking, like, stop double talking. Like, just starts, give me the information. Tell just me what give I Give me the know. fucking information. I, like, I'm like, and it's such a great actor because he's really annoyed by everything that's going on in his life. He's super annoyed. Avon's aggravated. And he's like, what about Eggie Mule? What about Shorty Boyd? Shorty Boyd, who went and cleaned his whole life up. And I want you guys to pay attention to Avon when he says that. Once again, Shorty Boyd cleaned his whole life up. And Avon kind of smiles. Avon's happy for Shorty Boyd. (laughs) Like, I I promise you, like, Avon, oh, like, like, oh, good for him. Like, Avon's (laughs) Happy for he's happy that somebody got out the game, and he's also, in my opinion, and we're gonna definitely see this later. He's happy that Cuddy got out the game. He is, and I was gonna ask you that because at the at during that scene, he may not necessarily agree with what Cuddy is doing, but he respects it. He respects. Yeah. I think he respects the fact that he had the. I mean, he had the courage to tell him it was his fuck up that it wasn't that fruit got away. It was so slippery. Got away. It wasn't that slim Charles start firing too early. Like he's slim Charles, you know, great teammate, by the way, great teammate. Look at that. Accepting responsibility for some shit. He didn't even do. He was just like, you know what? I opened up too early. That was on me, but he cut. could have very easily just let that ride and let it be. But instead he was like, Nope, I need to own this and be straight up. I, mm-hmm. I I couldn't kill him. Right. It ain't in me no more. And True. I got to go, and I got to walk away. And he respected that. And yep. we were talking about the differences between you know Marlo and and Avon. We know in that moment Marlo would have shot him in the head. And that would have been Mar- the end. you're dead. Who you think you're he's getting out? Ain't no getting out. <laughs> right up in the end. Yeah. It, 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 actually, this is how Marlo would have played it. Marlo would have been like, "Yeah, you want to get out? Cool, no problem." 
uh, Chris, Snoop, show my man the way out right here. <laughs> and then and then it goes back to it goes back to Cuddy. But Marlo, 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 nah. You said you want to get out. We are gonna make sure you get out. It won't you hurt none. It won't hurt none. <laughs> <laughs> And then that's that. And then that's and then like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's that's like, that. what? And the next thing you know, <laughs> right? spoiler alert. Next thing you know, you're in house. It's like, wait, right, what? Right, right. <laughs> well, an- another scene that um, uh, that I love, too, was the scene between Daniels and Ronnie. And when Daniels is breaking down to her why he feels like he still owes a debt to his estranged wife. Yeah. That was yeah. a real scene because um, – it says a lot that Daniels feels like he disappointed her, even though technically he still rose up the ranks anyway and was able to do it in a way that didn't completely sacrifice his integrity. And, oh, by the right. way, I was so here for him brushing her hand away when she tried to come back at him when they was in the little cafe. Get off He, me. he Get was off like, me. nah, mm-mm. I'm, I'm here for that. You tell me am I supposed to wear the A suit or the B suit? That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, ain't here for none of that extra. But nevertheless, right. the conversation that he had was real. When he, he again, we get these references and bits and pieces across the wire when Daniels alludes back to the type of cop he used to be. And you get the sense that he used to be a really bad guy. <clears throat> or at least he did some bad things, necessarily. And because she weathered the storm with him during that phase of his career, he feels like he owes her and if that means that he has to show up at these dinners and shake some hands and kiss some babies and pretend to be her husband, even though anybody with eyes can see these two awkward people are clearly no longer in love, doesn't right. matter. He's He feels like this is a small price to pay. The other part about that conversation that I thought was exceptionally real, this is one of those little nuanced things. Again, The Wire is really good at making big points with subtle things. And when he basic when he acknowledges to Ronnie, look, I'm a high profile black man in this city. I can't go from being with married to a black woman to showing up with you as a white woman. Real, real talk. That was real talk, right? Yeah. He's like he he knows what it is. He knows what the perception would be. Like, yeah, this might hurt your feelings, but the bottom line is, here I, I can't do that to her by by bringing you right behind her and everybody looking at me like I done lost my mind. Mm-hmm. So that to me was that was some real shit, and that was. That was a real, real scene. Um, but I, I'd probably have to agree that of all the scenes, I, I still think the the Bunk Omar one was probably, that was probably the best one. The best scene of the show. Yeah. Anything in this uh, age, the best age for you? Age the man. best. Okay. Hiring issues. Um, It is not easy to find good help. And unfortunately for the Bar Sale organization, there, man, there is no ZipRecruiter. Uh, for hitmen or uh, muscle or killers. You just got to go based upon who you have. Really, it's much better. And see, here's a, it's, a, it's, a, 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 it's much better. It's much better to bring these people up with you. You know, you hire a soldier or a corner boy as a PA situation, you know, production assistant when they're 11 or 12 and you rise them up through the ranks. Once you have to source out for your muscle and go hire mercenaries, that's not the way you want to do it. That's not the, you know what I mean, that's not the way you want to want to hire. That's van encouraging child no, children become. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, not encouraging that at all. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, right now, the best way, and this is one of the 
the few ways you'll ever hear me give props to TMZ is that, you know what? I'm not going to do it. How about that? I was going to resist. not going to do it. Fuck it. But, uh, but yeah, I'm I'll just say it. that. The, but yes, good help being hard to find age incredibly, incredibly well. well. Right. Um, uh, I would definitely say along those same lines where ages incredibly well is that people who betray your what's will definitely betray your ass again. And McNulty, what he's doing to Daniels, look, I get it. We, we went over this in the previous episode. They both are right mm-hmm. in their own way. But the way McNulty continues to go about this is just co- continuously disturbing. And Daniels made the mistake of thinking that because of the situation he pulled McNulty out of, that he couldn't possibly start these chain of command, jumping over his head. He couldn't couldn't possibly do that shit again. And McNulty going above somebody's head to, in his mind, achieve what needs to be necessary always ages well on this show because that's just his default mechanism is being a jerk in um, – you know, even as he's right, he can't help but be the biggest asshole. Scorpion and the frog. Did. You know what I mean? Scorpion and the frog. Yeah. McNulty is who he is. Like, why did I sting you? It's in my nature. And now we both going to drown. Scorpion and the frog, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, those are those two things I think aged incredibly well. Anything aged the worst? Two things. Number one, uh, Cameron's pink rebellion. Um. In the scene, in the scene, right. Avon is wearing a bright pink uh, polo, a uh, bright pink sure uh, button-down is. shirt. The reason why yep. Avon Barcel is wearing that in the construction scene and in the scene where they're riding around is because during that time, Cameron and the dipset, dipset. Shout out to Cam. Uh, shout out to Jimmy. Shout out to Jewels. Hold your head high. Those guys had made wearing pink something so fashionable. That everybody in Baton Rouge, even down in Baton Rouge, was wearing pink or dying shit pink. It's pink headbands. It was all kinds of pink stuff, pink socks. People was going through it. Uh, number two, second thing, tall tees. Oh, tall tees, man. The tall tee era came and went, but it Thankfully was an era. it went. It was an era. Yeah, it was. It was an era. Like, <laughs> I, remember, I remember at, at, uh, at, um, like I got to, I got to California. It was maybe like 2009. I was 28 or I was 28 or 29 at this point. And I, you know, you have packed. I like, you know, I had still had stuff from that, you know, but I had still had a couple of tall tees. And I remember I wore one, and one of my homeboys from out here looked at me. He was like, "Nigga," I was like, "What?" He's like, "That's a legit tall tee, bro. <laughs> we gotta go back to your crib." Either we got to go to your crib or we got to go to the Beverly Center. I was like, I need what? to see a it's photo like, of Van and the tall tee. Oh, I had them. And by the way, I was big. So I had 3X, 3X. Like, I had to find the tall tees, the tall, tall, fat tees. But, yeah, tall tees did not last at all. You wear a tall tee now, you probably get smacked in your mouth. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad you hi- uh, you highlighted those two things. I didn't have anything necessarily on, on my list for what age the worst, but – I, I it, it it does my spirit slightly crumbles every time somebody enters the scene with one of those tall tees because it just looks mm-hmm. like a bed sheet. It's like what are we doing here? And, and now on to the uh, Stringer Bell fuckboy moment, which happened at the beginning of this episode. It, 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 one thing I love about Avon being back 
is that Avon, and especially now that they're at odds, he has a way of just pointing out Stringer's fuckery without even, (laughs) sometimes without even meaning to it. In this particular scene, it was very obvious um, that despite, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, having read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Stringer Bell could not see that he's being taken for a ride by these contractors. Avon spots this shit literally immediately. He was like, oh, yeah, but y'all ain't doing the shit y'all said y'all supposed to be doing. I'm out. We should have lunch. Nope, I'm good. Bam. And he's done. Because right. mm-hmm. he immediately sees the con. He's just like, you do realize these people are just taking this money and they're not doing what they said they're going to do. And Stringer, because he's so pressed. Um, that's the thing that's interesting about showing him in that world and then showing him as a... Um, you know, as a contrast in the drug world, in the drug world, there's a, there's a security that Stringer has. He knows he's the smartest person in the room in most, in pretty much all the rooms he's in, in the drug game, for the most right. part. On the other side of it, you see a more deferential Stringer Bell. You see somebody not as secure because he's not positive that he's actually smarter than the people he's dealing with. In fact, he knows he's not, and he feels insecure about it, which is why his decision-making process with the Clay Davises and Levy and all of them is completely different than it is in the other world. And Avon, the fact that he peeped game and he peeped game from the beginning, like as soon as he came home and he tried to have them meet at his going away party, he squashed it then. And then again, in this case, he's just like later for that bullshit. But there was Springer, uh, you know, continuing to feed them more and, and more money. And uh, that's definitely a situation that bears uh, watching, but I certainly enjoy Stringer looking like a dumbass. Of course you did. Yes. Uh, it, it was a, it was a highlight propaganda. for me. Right. <laughs> it was a highlight for me for sure. So that is a big file. This away uh, for later. What were some other file this away for later as you spotted in us? Uh, the Donette and Brianna scene. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a huge one. That's, that's one one thing that this show is good is shown uh, is good at is showing that there are multiple cracks that have to happen in a foundation for that foundation to crumble. It just doesn't crumble from one way. Okay. And what we're starting to see are cracks in the Barstow organization. Um, the law enforcement hasn't even been gotten really back on them quite yet. We're seeing cracks in the foundation of the, 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 the two leaders cracks in the foundation of, really the third in the triumvirate. If it's not Levy, it's definitely Brianna, right? Um, We're starting to see all these different things that haven't been handled with the discipline that they're usually handled with that are coming to bear at the same time. And that right there, that little scene, something so innocent, doing somebody else's hair, it just shows you. Even that scene right there, y'all have no idea how much major shit ends up taking place because one woman is getting her hair done by another woman. One woman's getting her hair done by another woman. Hey, girl. You know what? I meant to tell you. I saw Byron, and I guess that must have been his sister or his cousin or somebody. I I saw them over um, at Blue Bayou. I had took the kids to the water park, and I saw them. What do you mean his sister or his cousin? Wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Take, 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 the, take the heat off my hair. When you saw this? Oh, well, no, I, I don't know no sister and no cousin. What? No, girl, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and shut up. Boom, it's over. Big fucking battle has to happen now. Because of that, happens 
during the time that hair is getting done. When I saw that scene, I had seen stuff like that play out when I was a kid. My mama would say something like that, and then all of a sudden, Van, get out of here. Let me talk to your aunt for a second. Boom. <laughs> Whole big thing. And then my dad, my dad listening at the door, like, boy, let me tell you, I'll tell you something going on. Your uncle about to get his head knocked off. You know, the, the, the whole deal. So that reminded me, but that's how it happens. Major crash. You could tell the wheels in Brianna's head are turning as she's doing the hair. Well, that, that also could have uh, fit into a what age the best is because women spilling tea while getting their hair done is timeless. Timeless. <laughs> and by the way, of course, I was naturally disappointed in Brianna because I, I will give Donette a small bit of a credit, even though I think, she is a terrible person is that she did at least have the guts to tell Brianna what you think about me and Sprint strain. At least she threw, yeah. she put it out there. She was like, Hey, yeah. just so I know people are talking. Mm-hmm. Are you hearing it from me? And she said, Brianna's like, Oh, he's a fine man. I'm like, Brianna, where, where's the loyalty, man? Where's the loyalty? Yeah. Where's the loyalty? She want, where's, she the, where's, the, where's the love? Where's the love? She want that girl to shut it down until there's cobwebs in it. Look, Let her get out there and do her thing. It's, it's a whole lot of dudes she could pick. She ain't got to pick that one. Let's Just, be honest, man. Uh, it's not a whole lot of Idris Elba's walking well, around. Okay. <laughs> Checkmate. Checkmate. <laughs> uh, also, another good file this away for later in this episode. Cuddy not killing fruit. Not the killing ramifications fruit. of him not killing fruit will unfold over the course of the next uh, season or so. Mm-hmm. So sure, sure. Mm-hmm. that was also a big one. As for trivia, uh, this involves mm. Mr. Jamie Hector. Um, you'll notice that he has some very colorful T-shirts that he always wears in The Wire. That is because they are from his own T-shirt line called Royal, or not T-shirt line, let me not disrespect him, fashion label called Royal Addiction. So you will see him wearing a lot of Royal Addiction where uh as Marlo because he started the company. See, this is how this is how you turn one hustle into two. He got the role, I think in in uh it was oh six or oh seven, started the t shirt line right when he got the role, or sorry, the fashion label right when he got the role and he wore his own shit. See, that's how you do that. I was like, I, I, I respect that hustle. I love it. Uh, I, uh, another Van meets a wire cast member story. Oh shout out to shout out to my boy Will who put out a movie last year called the Will McFadden put out a movie called doubting Thomas. Great movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, this was last fall. I went to the premiere of the movie. Guess who's in the movie. I actually hosted the Q and a for it. Guess who's in the movie playing opposite. Will Jamie Hector, me and Jamie Hector talk. We become pals and, it's a C. Jamie Hector. We talk all about Omar. We talk, he, and by the way, in Downey Thomas, Jamie plays a nice guy. Is he is the anti? Uh, excuse me, Marlo. He's the anti Marlo in Downey Thomas. And so, I hear in real life. I mean, people have this perception from The Wire that he's like this cold, unfeeling. No, guy. it's just a role, people. But <laughs> I hear a, in real life, he's like the nicest guy. It's a sweet man, a family man. It's yes, like, yes, that he's like a family right. man. He's super sweet. He is right. like he could not be more different than his character, and I'm I'm sure 
that whenever he goes out, people are just yelling Marlo's or Marlo or my name is my name. So <laughs> my name is my name. Yeah, one of the two. But good to hear that about um, about Jamie Hector. All right, Van. Moment of truth. Who won this episode? Cuddy. That's a great pick. Clear cut. Clear cut. Very yeah. very rarely in any show does a character get to be so. Um, do we see somebody take the reins of their own destiny like this with face with this insurmountable sort of uh, opposition? And you have to think of what Cuddy is up against. Cuddy is, Cuddy is, he's really starting a journey into an unknown. It's literally like he's setting sail in a wooden ship um, and going into a, 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 sailing into a vast ocean of of, of of the unknown um and in doing that he's also turning his back on a sure way to get money to do to have ladies to to be a big shot again and it is really one of the more brave decisions that that we've had in in the wire thus far and in the really the whole uh history of the show so uh, Cuddy one love the story uh and and, and love what he was able to to to, to kind of do and stand up for himself yeah, I mean, and and on top of that, um, you know, people have to understand, like, he has every reason in the world to be a part of the Barksdale organization. I mean, he has sure. nothing really solid in the legitimate world. And so to make that decision, despite knowing that he still can't find his footing, um, you know, that says a lot about him. Also, you in some uh, ways, you can interpret that meeting with Avon as a file that's away for later because that's not the last time those oh, two absolutely. meet face sure. to face. Yes, and so the next time they do, Cuddy will be in a little bit of a different uh, position than he is uh, at that particular moment when he walks away from the game. And uh, Avon will once again prove his decency. He he actually will. You are correct about that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for me, who won this episode was Bunk um, mm. because. Uh, that was a very well acted scene for both of them. I mean, the fact is, Buck brought Omar to tears with what he said. He was doing yeah. some preaching, all, uh-huh. you know, a collection plate. That's all he was missing, you know. Yep. He didn't. He didn't hit Omar with "Lord, I done changed." He didn't hit. <laughs> he didn't look, look how far you brought me. He didn't hit him with every gospel hymnal, you know, the plate on his black pride and like. You know, what was his line? Makes me sick, motherfucker. How far we done fail? I'm like, yep. he just it like was. hit him with the kitchen sink, boy. And some real good preacher vibes. He did. And it was some real shit because he had uh, a, a lot of nobody. There's very few scenes that Omar is in that somebody else steals the scene away from him. And this mm-hmm. was one where this actually happens. And typically everybody who Omar is is talking to he always is a step ahead of them and -hmm. i think with this with bunk he never saw that coming i think he expected to meet up with him deny uh you know not give him any information kind of send him off on his way and he wound up getting a whole he wound up as they say the old folks say getting told about himself and uh to me that was that's where i would have to give this episode to my man bunk um Mm. Well, that is going to do it for us as we uh, wrap up episode six, um, episode seven uh, coming up uh, next as uh, this this web of 
of Avon versus Marlowe gets even more uh, interesting, as does even um, to some degree the the detail. Figuring out, you know, technology is always some form of technology is always a, a piece of this uh, detail puzzle or the piece of the puzzle as they try to put it together, and the technology that they will use to try to get to the bottom of what's going on in these Baltimore streets. Uh, that'll be exposed more, I think, in, in the next episode. But uh, until then, thank you all for supporting us. Uh, continue to listen to us and keep watching The Wire. We'll see y'all next time. Peace.